Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the sunshine you have given to us. I just pray, Lord, in this hallowed moment that you would come down and reach into our hearts and and, uh, soften them, open our ears that we could hear. I pray for our brother, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through him and say the things that um, we need to hear. Encourage us, Lord. Exhort us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would just strengthen our brother. And may you just compass him about. And that he would just sense your, your spirit with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning once again. God bless you all for being here. It is uh, it's good to be here. It's been quite a week this past week. A lot of things going on. I suppose most of you, if not, will tell you. Most of you know that uh, the girl we've been praying for, she was, she was found. Sasha was her name. She disappeared from New Mexico from right there at their, their church building. And they, don't know what, they didn't know what happened. And like it was a month later, over a month later, they, uh, after a lot of searching and rewards put out and just no clues at all, someone found her body in the Arizona desert. And uh, this past week they had the autopsy and then later on Friday they had the funeral over in Texas for Sasha Krause. And I guess the, the investigators are still trying to find out what happened. I don't know that they have any leads about who did it. That's still a mystery. But, you know, I was, uh, well, I got, a, I got a call last night from a friend of mine, Clayton Weaver. He is also on the billboard team. He answers calls like I do. He lives in Texas, and he just said, hey, I just want to let you know I met your parents at that funeral. I said, I didn't know my parents were going to be at that funeral, but I guess they were at that funeral. They traveled from Montana down to Oklahoma, met my uncle there, and then they were traveling somewhere else. I don't remember where. Or he didn't know where it was, but they stopped at that funeral on the way. So they were there asking how many people. They said about around 650 people were at this funeral of this girl who was murdered, as far I guess as far as we know, um, in uh, kidnapped from New Mexico, murdered in, in Arizona, as far as we know. But uh, maybe there will be more information later. What exactly happened? But, you know, that started me to thinking. I started to remember things that have happened, stories that I've heard. I have two stories to tell you. One of them is a true story. The other one might be true. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to tell them both. First story. This is uh, the same organization that we support a man over in India. Maybe some of you have heard this story already. Uh, We support this man called Ravi Abraham over in India. He's part of Unreached Villages, but... Within that same organization, they have a number of evangelists going out in different parts of India preaching the gospel. One of those men is a man named Rajan, R-A-J-A-N. And uh, years ago, he, was, uh, he felt called to go into a new area. And this area was uh, a very, it was an unreached area, very mountainous area. There were cannibals, cannibalistic people there that he felt that God wanted him to go and preach the gospel to them. And, of course, he knew that it was dangerous, but he had a young wife. She was six months pregnant, and they started walking back there into these jungles to take the gospel to them. And he was, they were looking around for the people. They didn't have a lot of food. They didn't have a lot of, uh, 
support, money. They were, they were trusting God to get them there. And uh, his wife was tired, so they were up, up in kind of a high outcropping at a rock. He says, you wait here. I'm going to go down to the stream. I'm going to get some water. I'll bring it back up to you, some water to drink, because she was thirsty. So it was getting toward dark by that time, but he says, I think I can make it down there. He, he made it down there, got some water, brought it back up to the rock where his wife was, and she was gone. He called and he called. He got desperate. He called some more, but no answer. And he kept looking around, uh, going through all the high places he could to see. And finally, as it was keep get, kept getting darker, he saw a fire burning. He saw smoke and flames. And so he started walking over there thinking maybe she had been drawn toward that fire. What he saw when he came into that clearing horrified him. Here these people had found his wife, killed her, and they were getting ready to eat her. These were cannibals. This absolutely, Rajan, his wife, was her name was Valsala. And it just absolutely almost made him lose his mind. He walked away in grief. He went back to his home village, weeping. And for the next several months, he just didn't know what, he, he couldn't think straight, just, just crying out to God. That's all he could do. After a few months, though, he felt God speak to him. He says, why don't you go back there and preach to those, God, those people? He says, you know, that's the same thing that happened to me. I sent my son to this earth. And the very people I was hoping to save, they're the ones that killed me. Would you go back and tell them the gospel? And, of course, he struggled with that. These are the people that killed my wife. But he finally went. And as he went to this, Indian, this, this tribe in India, this cannibalistic tribe, when he, when he finally came to where they were, they were so glad to see them. They said, we want to talk to you. We, we have to talk to you. Uh, and, and they said, here's what happened. After we kidnapped your wife, she started preaching to us. She was telling us the gospel. She was telling us, about, uh, you know, Jesus and how he came to save and, and how we could be forgiven of our sins. And before we killed her, she had told us this message. And we've been thinking about it ever since. We, we, we need someone to tell us how to get saved, how to get right with God. And so he preached to those people, those cannibals. He told them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of them became saved. Today, he and some of those men are going into the surrounding villages, preaching the gospel, telling others the message of Jesus Christ. Quite a shaking story. But now we fast forward some 20 years to another story. This story happens in a prison down in Arizona. Man in an orange jumpsuit is leaving a, leading a Bible study. There's prisoners gathered around him. They're all followers of Jesus. They have their Bibles open. And the leader is, is going around and asking people about their testimony. And everybody goes around and gives their testimony about how they became a Christian, what, what it was that led them. Finally, they looked at the leader and said, can you tell us your testimony? And he says, well, yeah. He says, I was a serial killer. He says, I would kidnap people and I would kill them. And one day... Um, he says, I was really good at it. I could sneak by. Nobody could catch me doing this. But he says, I kidnapped this girl over in New Mexico. And uh, nobody knew what happened. It was there, I left no trace at all. But I took her over to Arizona. And that's where I ended up killing her. But that whole ride, that car ride from New Mexico to Arizona, she was preaching the gospel to me. Her name was Sasha. And he said, after I killed her, I couldn't get those words out of my mouth, my mind. I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about what she had told me about Jesus who came to save me. He said, finally, 
I knew the authorities were looking for me. He said, I, I, I knelt down. I gave my life to Jesus. I went and turned myself in. I told him, I'm the one who did this. Do with me whatever you want. And now here he is sitting in the murderer's section of this prison. And he is now a Christian because of the testimony of Sasha Krauss. Sasha Krauss. Like I say, I don't know if that story is true or not. Maybe. Maybe it will become true. Maybe there's still things that are happening in his mind. What happened on that trip between New Mexico and Arizona where she ended up losing her life? We'll keep praying for him. The authorities are still working on it. We'll see. Maybe that's a day. Maybe that's a story we'll hear someday in heaven. I don't know. But that's the kind of thing God does. That's what he does in India. And when you hear the kind of girl that she was, she was that kind of girl. She, she would write poems and songs about Jesus. She had memorized many, uh, much of the New Testament from what I heard. She was, uh, she, I think she was bilingual. I think she knew several, maybe, maybe trilingual, knew several language, <clears throat> languages. She was active there in this publishing house. And a lot of what they do is in other languages. And so I think it's very likely that she was preaching to him the whole way between New Mexico and Arizona. So Sasha Krauss, her autopsy, like I said, was on Monday. That same day, Monday, there were other things that happened. I got an email saying there were two boys that were killed in an auto accident down in Tennessee, uh, Woodbury, Tennessee, a church kind of like ours, an agape church. Agape, uh, church. Uh, I didn't know them that I know of. I asked uh, um, ask, uh, around a little bit, do you, do you know any of these, uh, know these people? Their last name was Mast. I know a lot of people with the last name Mast. <laughs> But uh, anyway, a 15-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, they were brothers, died in a car accident. I didn't get any more details than that. But it's like, wow, this is, the world is being shaken. Not only that, there was also the funeral that some of us went to. Clayton, we had gotten a call, what, a week or two before from his mom, 32-year-old man. He was fairly good health. There were a few health problems, which probably, you know, diabetes and some things like that probably contributed to his death. But she went home in the afternoon and there he was laying on the bed dead. And her first words were, he didn't know the Lord. Very sad situation. He was not, as far as she knew, he had never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And so it was a, it was a sad funeral, but there's a lot of people there. And we had a few minutes to share the gospel with them and show love to the people that were there. And I don't know how many people were there, 100, 150 maybe. Um, but again, it's, it's been, like I say, it's been quite a week. And uh, now we have an opportunity, though, to pray for her other children, Katie and Daniel. Let's pray for them. Let's pray diligently for them, that they would be saved. Margie said, I asked her, you know, what about Katie getting saved? She says, wow, if that would happen, that would be the happiest day of my life. So let's pray that that happens. Also this past week, we have this scare going around about this coronavirus. This virus has taken over, sweeping across the world, called a pandemic now. Uh, no, it seems to be no way to stop it, the way it transmits itself without any symptoms. And then the symptoms come later. And the, uh, you know, the death rate in this is, what did someone calculate? Somewhere around 20 times as deadly as the common flu even though thousands and thousands of people die from the flu every year, this is about 20, uh, somewhere around 20 times as deadly as that. And um, 
So there's a lot of people fearful. So one gauge of the fear that people have <clears throat> is by looking at the stock market and what happens. And it has, uh, it, it has uh, went way down this week, uh, a bigger crash, since, the biggest crash that has happened since the 2008 financial crisis. So it's been, what, 12 years, something like that. So there's a lot of fear in the world today. There's a lot of tragedies. There's a lot of reminders with this world that we live in. There's a lot of people dying. It's a dark world, but I'd like to read some verses I read at the funeral. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let's bow for prayer one more time. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that you are a refuge and strength. And that no matter what happens, no matter how our lives are shaken, we can know that you are never shaken. And you're not out of control. And Lord, we know that you do grieve over the human situation, the sin, the death, the suffering. And yet, Lord, you have been known to and you do do this every day. Take something that was intended for evil and you turn it around and use it for good. <clears throat> like you did with this pregnant woman in India who was murdered by these cannibals. You raised up an army of believers in that place. And Lord, we don't know yet what all will play out from this story about Sasha. But Lord, we pray that you would save the soul of her murderer and you would save the soul of others as a result. And Lord, we pray for Margie, for comfort for her in the loss of her son. <clears throat> and I pray for her other children, Katie and Daniel, that you would touch them right now and just convict them and help any scripture that they know, Lord, that's in their mind, just to let that continue to ring through their mind and, and let them think about eternity and help them to get born again. And Lord, we just also pray for comfort for the Krause family. And Lord, we pray for others that we know that need your work, saving power at work in them. I just pray for Corey right now where she's at. And for Betsy and for, Lord, so many others that we have loved ones. Pray for your protection. Pray for your power. Pray for your conviction. Pray for your salvation. And Lord, I pray for this message that we have. I pray, God, that you would just be with us the rest of this service. I pray that you'd be with each person who is here in this building. That you brought them here for a reason. I pray, God, that you would send them home with a blessing. Send, send all of us home changed more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read some verses from Revelation. Tell you about a vision that I have. When I say I have a vision, I'm not talking about one of these supernatural things that happen when you're 
lying in bed at night, all of a sudden there's a brilliant flashlight. I'm talking about more of an imagination that I'm going through. But here's the vision I'd like to share with you based on these verses from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, Stood, tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And I think of this vision of Judgment Day. <clears throat> and I think of this vision of a throne, God seated on the throne, clothed in light, <clears throat> and all nations gathered before him. His right hand is over here. And you have this group of people that we just read about. These people that are clothed in purity, who are right with God. And they are they're from every nation, every tribe, every kindred and language. And they are part of that blood-washed throng. They are invited into heaven. They hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of thy Lord. And eventually they will be singing this song that it talks about here. Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And as we look through this group of people, or as I look through it, I, I notice all these various types of people. I notice, you know, the, the, the really, really dark skinned people from Africa and then the more medium brown people, which are, you know, in a lot of places in the world, whether it's India or China or whether it's uh, Latin America. And then you see the white people from Russia and Europe and, and uh, North America. And uh, you, you see quite a few different even denominations of people. Maybe denominations we didn't expect to be there, but they're there. People that were within those groups and, and they had repented, put their trust in Jesus, maybe in spite of great odds. And then as I look over that group of people, I see people that I recognize the Anabaptist people. I see some Amish people there, you know, with the suspenders and the, the little heart-shaped coverings that some of them wear and the broad fall pants that the men wear and different things and long beards. And then I see the ones with a little bit shorter beards, the beachy people and, the, you know, their different style of coverings that they have. And then, then I, you know, maybe see, you know, the Mennonites with their cap coverings and the, and the, the men with their plain coats on and and, uh, and no beards. And uh, then you see the, the charity people, you know, with their hanging veils. I see a lot of different groups. The G German Baptist people. see some of all of them there. And, uh, and, and I, I recognize them. I know where they fit in. And I'm praising the Lord for what God has done in their heart. And this is a gathering that will last forever. Glorious gathering. But then I see another group of people on the left-hand side. I think a larger group of people. And once again, I see this group of people that have been rejected. Said, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And I look through that group and guess what I see over there? I see the same mix of dark skin, medium skin, light skin. I see people from all kinds of religions and backgrounds. And then I'm shocked to see over in that group of people also some of those Anabaptist people. And once again, I see 
the Amish with the long beards and the suspenders, and I see, you know, the Beaches and the Mennonites and the German Baptists and the Charity and Valley Christian Fellowship with their hanging veils, with their way that they dress. I see some of them over there too. Anabaptist people of every stripe. And I think, how can that be? I thought they were following God. Why are they on the left hand and not the right hand? And the question went through my mind, and this is the title of my message. Who are these Anabaptist people who will end up in hell? Who are the Anabaptists that will end up in hell? And this was a haunting question that went through my mind. And I have to be so careful as I talk about this because I, in this message, do not want to play judge. I am not qualified to sit on that throne and judge anyone. But what I can do is open up this scripture, the Bible, the word of God. And read verses that give clear warnings. And some of those warnings are simply so clear that we have to say, here they are. They stand on their own. I don't have to interpret them. I just have to read them. And they were written to us. And, you know, when I ask who are these Anabaptists that are in danger of hellfire, one of the things I want to say is who they're not. We're not talking and again, these are subgroups within larger groups. We're not talking about the prodigals, those that once were Anabaptists and then left. That's not who we're talking about. Those that have once been a part of an Anabaptist group, and then they just said, oh, no, I don't believe in God anymore, walked away and lived in sin, and that was what, that's, that's, that's not who we're talking about. That's, that would be another group that we could talk about, but that's not who we're talking about this morning. We're probably not talking about people who compromised on some scriptures that we hold dear. You know what Jesus said about divorce and remarriage, what Jesus said about taking up the sword. Probably that group of people over there on the left hand. To us, it's on our right, but to the throne, it's on the left. It's they're, they're probably not people who went and joined the military. They knew better than that. They knew better than to take up the sword because Jesus said, he who takes up the sword will perish with the sword. And so these people, they've been taught that from little up. They, they knew better than to get involved in that kind of killing and so forth. They're probably not guilty of taking an oath, standing in a courtroom and say, I swear this, I swear that. They, they've been taught not to do that. They probably weren't people that were deceived by this false teaching, once saved, always saved. Once you pray a sinner's prayer as a young child, then, you know, however you live from then on, you're on your way to heaven, even if you go back into sin. They knew better than that. But they're still on the left hand. They're still, they were, they were lifelong Anabaptists, members in good standing at various churches of various stripes. And so, as I thought about this subject, it's been going through my mind for a little while, and I thought about what categories of people are then in that group. Because it's a whole lot better for us to identify it now than to wait till then. And so we're going to open up our Bibles, and I would like to challenge you to, not always do I read a lot of Scripture, sometimes I'll read a passage of Scripture in, in, one, in, one, in one chapter, I'm going to do some turning back and forth. 
And, uh, but I would, I would like to encourage you to go ahead and turn to these scriptures so that you see it as well. But there are, I think I have eight different categories here of groups of people that, at least by the scriptures, it seems to elevate these, the seriousness of these eight issues to the point where it seems as though they could end up in that group of people. And I say seems. Again, I want to be so careful because this is so serious. I don't want to be the judge. I don't want to sentence anybody, condemn anybody to hell that God is not, you know, that God is not doing that. But God has given us these scriptures for a reason. What I don't want to do is ignore what God has said. What I don't want to do is water it down and make it less serious than what he has said. That's why I want you to turn to these because then you can see for yourselves how serious these things are. And there's some things that are not on this list that I have. There's some commands that are very serious. You know, God told us to be praying people, but there's, I don't know, there's a real clear line between, you know, how much prayer and, you know, we ought to be engaging in every day. You know, the Bible tells us to uh, husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. But, you know, what about, um, you know, you know, it doesn't you know, what's the level of that? What if someone doesn't do that perfectly? I don't know. I'm not the judge. I'm just I'm reading the verses that do give us clear warnings about some issues. You know, we, we believe in the head covering, you know, because First Corinthians 11 says it doesn't ever give us a verse that says, though, that says, you know, hey, people who don't believe in the way we practice that are going to be on the left. I, I think it's a serious issue. But I couldn't find a verse that would say that raise it to the same level as the list that I'm going to put it here. So I'm not going to judge either way on that. I'm going to let that in God's hands. What I am going to list are the things that I found. Maybe you have verses that I don't have. But I found verses that say these things are extremely serious. Watch out for them. So we're going to start out. I'm going to. First of all, erase this. and We're going to make a list here on this board. Go ahead and turn to John chapter three to begin with. John chapter 3, and we'll read a few verses here. Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He simply says this, John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then later he says, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of people who, like I say, were lifelong Anabaptists. They, they, had, they had you know, done everything that they knew to do within their culture, but they were not born again. This is a supernatural happening that happens when a person repents thoroughly of their sin. They humble themselves before God. They put their trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And they had never done that. They had grown up in these situations, but they had never put their own trust in Jesus. Christ. Maybe they're trusting in something else. Jesus also said in Luke 14, 33, except a man gives up everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. Full surrender to Jesus. Jesus, do whatever you want. Do with me. What you want. John 12, 24, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. 
It abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. These people had never died to themselves, yielded their life to Jesus Christ, and then been baptized and then followed him faithfully from that day forward. They hadn't been born again. I'm afraid that's one category of people who may be over there on the left hand. Number two, you can uh, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and it gives another category of people here. And I'll just put up here the two words, hidden sin. Hidden sin, sin in their life that had never been exposed, never brought to light. Uh, Luke, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. In the meantime, they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, so much that they trod one upon another. And he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. I could have also put up the word simply hypocrisy up there, but I'll be a little bit more specific. Hidden sin. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in the light, Whatever you have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light. That which ye have spoken in the ear, in the closets, shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not, don't be afraid of them that kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you who you shall fear. Fear him which after he is killed, killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So talking about this thing of hypocrisy, in other words, this, these people, they had hidden sin. I had to think of this situation down in Haiti. This, this, uh, this man who was abusing boys for years. No one knew it. It was hidden. It was, it was buried. But eventually, it came to light. And as I understand it, he did repent. And he's now sitting in prison. And uh, he's paying for his sins. It's going to be a long process. I heard that he was truly repentant from the fruit that people could see around him. And that's good that he was truly repentant. But what if he had died before it came to light? What if he had died? He was a good missionary. He was talented at the language. He was everything, but, but it wasn't exposed. It wasn't repented of. It was hidden. What if he had died during that time? We hear stories of preachers. Preachers go around giving uh, you know, meetings at different places. And then you find out years later they had been involved in horrendous sin for years. These are horrible stories, but I'm afraid that there's going to be many of those on Judgment Day on that side because of this issue of hidden sin. And I'll say I've said it before. I've said, I'll say it again. If you're a Christian here, if you're a new Christian, especially, but any any Christian, one of the most important things you can have is a clear conscience. Keep that clear conscience. That's the, the most valuable thing that you have. Don't let it don't let it uh, get away. If something's hidden, uh, repent. Confess it. Uh, get rid of it. Hidden sin. Category two of those who will be on the wrong side on Judgment Day. Number three. Turn to Matthew chapter six. Number three. Say that? Okay. Matthew chapter six. Let's read verses 14 and 15. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had just given the Lord's Prayer. One of the things in that prayer was, forgive us our debts as we forgive other people their trespasses. Now here he says in verse 14, for if ye forgive not men their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father, which is in he- neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And we could also turn up to Matthew chapter 18. He tells a story there of the uh, king with the talents and how the servant who had been forgiven millions of dollars wouldn't forgive ten dollars of his fellow servant. And he was thrown to the tormentors, and Jesus said, So will my Father do to you if you don't forgive others. This is a sin of bitterness, or we could say unforgiveness. But I believe this is the issue that's going to catch many people off guard. Remember, the people who are over here, maybe in this whole group, but especially in this subgroup, there's going to be many people within this group on the left who did not expect to be there. They expected to be on the right hand, but they found themselves on the left hand. That's what grabs my attention. When we read some of these Judgment Day stories, people are shocked. I don't want us to be shocked. That's why we're reading these verses here. But this issue of forgiveness or bitterness, if you don't forgive from your heart, you'll find yourself on the wrong side on Judgment Day, according to Jesus. This was hit home to me in a very real way at a young age. I've shared this story before, but if you haven't heard it, if you don't remember it, I went to this funeral up in Canada, and a man was there, who, or the, the man who had died. The story was this. He had lots of... He was, he, was a, he, was a, he was a conservative Christian man, Anabaptist man. He had lived his life most of the time either in the church or around the church, but... There were a lot of hurts. There was a lot of conflict in the family, a lot of conflict in the church. He had a heart attack, and he had, I heard about this near-death experience of Mike's grandma, I believe you said. Well, this guy had that experience. He felt himself leaving the body. He felt himself going through this tunnel toward the pearly gates. But he got to the gates. They said, sorry, you can't come in here. No one with unforgiveness can enter here. Well, he was a Christian, he thought. He was a church person, he thought. But he had unforgiveness toward all these hurts these people that had hurt him. And the scary thing about unforgiveness is most people don't know it's there. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, it sneaks up on you. You know the scriptures that say, I have to forgive. So we say with our mouth, I forgive. That's not what Jesus said, to say it with your mouth. He said, if you don't forgive from your heart. And that's why it's, and so a lot of people believe they have forgiven. In reality, they have not. That's why they're shocked on Judgment Day. The next one, number four. Turn to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33 and uh, Here God's telling Ezekiel that he, you know, he was ordaining him a prophet. And I think to some extent we can, we can, we can bring this to ourselves. The, and and I, again, I'm not sure how to all interpret this. I know Ezekiel had a special calling. Not all of us have the same special calling as Ezekiel. And yet it's here. And it somehow, I believe, applies to us. Again, what, how this is all going to play out on Judgment Day, I don't know exactly. But it's very clearly given as a warning, so I'm going to give it. 
And he says, so thou, O son of man, Ezekiel 33, verse 7, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. It sounds really serious. And so I'm going to give it to you as being very serious. Do we have blood on our hands? If we don't do something to warn the wicked around us, to warn people who are not right with God, to warn them of the danger they're in, get right with God. I don't know what extent we need to do this. I don't know what the right way to do. I, I think... There is something about just being a person who shares that kind of gets around. I think people know if I ever do want to get right with God, I know who to go talk to. And I'm not saying getting the blood off of our hands is always done the same way in every place at every time. But we somehow have to be people who share the gospel, people who warn, people who maybe gently, maybe more harshly, however God has called you to do it. I don't know. But somehow get the blood off of our hands that we make it clear there is a judgment coming and sin will not go un, uh, unpunished. And uh, there is there is uh, forgiveness available in uh, through Jesus Christ. Number five. So, again, we're talking about people who could end up on the wrong side on judgment day. Number one, they're not born again. Number two. They have hidden sin in their life. Number three, they have bitterness or unforgiveness. They don't even know they have unforgiveness, but they do. Or number four, well, they're living in victory themselves, but they don't seem to care about people that are around them that are lost. They're not telling them, doing anything to spread the gospel, doing anything to warn the wicked. All right? Number five, turn to Galatians chapter five. Again, we're talking about things that tend to, I, I, I fear, will sneak up on people. That will sneak up on people even... Those that we agree with doctrinally in so many ways, the Anabaptist people. And yet, as I read some of these verses, it makes me tremble. And so I'm sharing them again with you. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. Verse 19 says, the works of the flesh are manifest, and it lists a number of them, including adultery, fornication, uncleanness. And then verse 20 says, idolatry, witchcraft. Let's just stop right there. I believe this, I'm afraid, I, I fear that this is an issue that's going to catch many people off guard on Judgment Day. Because people again say, well, I, I didn't know this was witchcraft. I mean, these issues of divination and you know water witching and new age healing practices and some of these things that appear to be by the if you look at the characteristics of them appear to fit within this area of witchcraft and here it says that people that do these things they, they will not inherit the kingdom of God that's how serious it is it isn't maybe some oh, just a slight doctrinal difference here that we have no it says they won't inherit the kingdom of God so I don't know what else to do with it than to read it just like it says and I have to ask the question, what about those that don't know? Well, that's something that I think God does know what we know. 
And there is a point when the Apostle Paul was living in blatant sin. He was, he was Saul of Tarsus at that point. He was murdering Christians. That was his job. I mean, some people have a job of being a mason. They build houses. Other people do framing. Other people do accounting work. He had a different job. It was killing Christians. You think, wow, that's not a good guy. And he wasn't a good guy. But he was doing it in ignorance. He thought he was doing God's service when he did it. It was still a sin. God was ultimately going to hold him responsible. But his ignorance wasn't an excuse to call it not sin. Instead, it was a reason, you know, I think that God reached out to him and said, wake up, Paul. This is sin. You do need to repent. And he did, thankfully. This issue of witchcraft. Again, there's people that maybe are practicing things. They honestly don't know that it's sin. They don't know that it's witchcraft. My concern is not so much that they don't know. My concern is for those who don't care enough to investigate. That's, the, that's why I put this on the list. These things are knowable. Witchcraft has characteristics. And you can examine those characteristics and compare things that you're doing with those characteristics and find out, according to all the evidence, does it appear to be witchcraft or doesn't it? But if you don't care enough to investigate, my fear is that God's going to hold you just as accountable in judgment as a person who knew that they were practicing witchcraft. The person over in Africa who, yeah, I'm a witch. I'm a witch doctor. I put curses on people. I've killed five people so far in my life and I plan to kill more if I need to, to raise money, whatever. Yeah, they're practicing witchcraft all the time and they know they're practicing witchcraft. They're going to be guilty. They know they're going to be guilty. We know they're going to be guilty. But what about the people that don't know and say, well, I'm not going to investigate. That's my burden here. Let's care enough to investigate. You say, well, I know this person over here who thinks it's okay and this person over here who has a different opinion. Now I've got two different opinions to choose from, so I'll pick one that I like. No, that's not how you investigate. That's not an investigation. An investigation means examine the evidence. It doesn't mean pick an opinion. It means you, you, you look at the evidence to find out uh, what what uh, what God thinks of. So again, that's why I'm putting that one on the list. And you know, the interesting thing about this list is we can be diligent about some of them and yet get to another one and the same seriousness is put on us, at least from Scripture, if we ignore just that one. I, again, I'm not the judge on Judgment Day. But if I have eight things on this list, and we say, well, I'm going to make sure I'm born again, I'm going to deal with all the hidden sin in my life, I'm going to make sure I'm not engaging in bitterness, um, and I don't have blood, and I'm doing what I can to share the gospel, and not, you know, I'm making sure witchcraft isn't an issue. I've repented of all that if I've ever done it before. Um, okay. But then we get to another one. And according to Scripture, it's just as serious, even if all the rest of these are in order. And that's, that's the one I'm thinking of when we come to this next one. Matthew chapter 25. Here we have a group of people who once again are tragically surprised on Judgment Day. Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 46. Then shall he say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they say also unto him, Lord, 
When saw we thee in hunger, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to thee? Then shall he answer to them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Notice he didn't tell these people, look, you were never born again. He didn't tell them you had hidden sin in your life. You had bitterness that you hadn't forgiven, uh, gotten rid of. You had, you had blood on your hands for not witnessing to people. You had witchcraft in your life that you hadn't dealt with. He didn't tell them any of that. But he said you were not active in ministering to the needs of your fellow men. Physical needs. Feeding the hungry. Clothing the naked. Uh, ministering to people, needy people around the world. Or, or giving to others that are doing that. And uh, I, I'm not sure what to... Uh, I'll just put feed the hungry, but that is... This is representative of a lot of other things. Feeding hunger. They just didn't do that. They said, well, that's really for somebody else to do. That's just not my ministry. I'm a song leader. I'm a, I lead Bible studies or children's. I don't feed the hungry. That's, that's just not my thing. Um, somebody, other people do that. I mean, there are people with big businesses. They can feed the hungry. That's not my job. But here God says, well, look, uh, this was part of the gospel. This was part of what you were called to do. And you didn't do it, even though you had lots of opportunity. And I think, you know, like we heard in that talk in Iraq, who has more opportunity than we who live here in America? They can get jobs. Can, we have travel opportunities. We have more than any other country in the world. Who has more opportunity to minister to needs around the world than we do as American Christians? The next one is related. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and, and you see here what, what some of these people were doing with their money rather than feeding the hungry. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that will come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. A witness when? Judgment day? And shall eat at your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. So I'll just put that, I'll put down here an abbreviation. H. Heaped treasure together. H-T-T. Heaped treasure together for the last days. Now, you know, sometimes we have to make some judgment calls. Maybe we're not, I, I don't think I'm talking about things that we need. You know, I need a car, so I, I put money aside to buy the car. I think I'm going to get married, so I need a house. I don't know where our needs start and stop, but we're not, I, I don't read this thinking this is talking about that, but somehow this is talking about something. Somehow Jesus' words, do not lay up treasure for yourselves on earth, mean something. There is a way to disobey Jesus in this area. And I'm concerned about it. I'm, I'm, I've been concerned about it for a long time. That we're, as we heap treasure together for ourselves, unused wealth, while there's hungry, needy people in the world, that somehow on Judgment Day, it's going to be a very bad thing. So I'm putting that on the list. The last one, number eight. You can turn to Revelation. Chapter 3, chapter 2 and 3. Jesus is talking to people, Christians, probably Christians who had heard the gospel, so they were born again. 
They were told they can't have hidden sin in their life. They were told to deal with bitterness and they were told to witness and so forth. And so maybe for a while they did these things. But something happened. Revelation 2 verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have something somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And he goes on later to say, Watch out or I will remove your candle. Turn forward to Revelation 3 verse 16. So then, talking to the church at Laodicea, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And that's a scary one to me. When we live in the country that we are in. What does it mean to be lukewarm? And I'm putting that on the list even though it's, it, it's hard for me to identify. Some of these others are pretty clear. Have I been born again? Do I have hidden sin? I can examine myself on that. I can examine myself on bitterness. Well, who do I know that, you know, if I just had to name one person who has hurt me the worst in my life, that likely is going to be your biggest temptation to bitterness, whoever that person is. Who has hurt me the worst? I can examine these. I can examine blood on my hands. Am I doing what I can to at least try to encourage people, get right with God? Witchcraft, feeding the hungry. Am I active in that? Um, and the, uh, the, the thing of, uh, you know, heaping treasure, all these things. But they, it seems like a lot of those feed into the last one. Lukewarm. I just have a hard time put, putting my finger on that one saying exactly what is the cause. But I think if you examine those other things, it will give you some clues as to where this other one is, this lukewarmness. Even though it's a little bit nebulous. It's a little bit cloudy. I'm not sure if I'm guilty of allowing lukewarmness to creep into my heart. But it has something to do with love. Our love for God has something to do with our obedience to God. We need to examine ourselves. And you say, well, preacher, that's not really fair for you to put something up there and not give us a concrete way to examine ourselves. I don't know what else to do. God put it in the Bible. So I'm reading it to you and saying, watch out for this thing of lukewarmness. But I would like to read you one last thing um, that hopefully will help spur you out of lukewarmness and I just happened to pick this up. We were having devotions with our family. We get this little magazine beside the still waters. And yesterday evening was the one. This is the one that was to read this time. So we read it and I'll read it to you. And Jeremiah verse 20, it says, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing. Have you ever wondered if witnessing for the Lord is worth the time when so few bother listening? Have you ever wondered if the cross is too heavy and considered forgetting about pointing folks to Christ, the Redeemer? Have you ever felt that Christ is cruel in requiring everyone to deny himself and follow him? When we draw close to the Lord we love, we realize those questions are all wrong. As we gaze at Jesus' face and savor his love and salvation, our hearts burn and the cross that has been a burden becomes a joy to carry. When we remain silent, refrain, refrain from expressing Christ's love to others, it should be like trying to stop a raging inferno. Like Jeremiah, we should have such a burning fire that we cannot contain it and we become bold in witnessing. Our mentality should be for Zion's sake. Will I not hold my peace? I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth. With Paul, we should declare that we are more than conquerors and that nothing should be able to separate us from the love of God. But maybe we are not filled enough with the gospel. Does the word of God thrill us and move us to action as it ought? We should be so enthralled with this man from Nazareth that we have no time to follow fashions and worldly attractions. 
Or does the world hold such an appeal that evangelizing has lost importance? Remember these solemn words, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's bow for prayer. As you're bowing, eyes closed, I just want to give an invitation here in just a little bit. I'm going to ask two invitations. I'm going to ask, number one, is there anyone here that says, I would like to talk to someone. I need help. I don't think I'm right with God, and I really need counsel. I need some help getting right with God. I'm going to ask you, if you are in that situation, uh, just to raise your hand. I'm also going to ask another invitation, and that is... If there's anybody that says, I need to deal with some of these things in my life. I need to think about them. I need prayer as I think about it. You're not asking for counsel necessarily. You're simply raising your hand and saying, please pray for me. I've got some things to deal with. So we're going to pray first of all, and then keep your eyes closed. I'm going to ask those two questions. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And your word is here to give us like we heard a couple Sundays ago, the assurance of salvation. And yet you've given us these tests and these warnings and we're instructed to take them seriously because so many on Judgment Day will be disappointed. And we don't want to be among those. We want to be among those who say, who hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for these warnings. They are given to us as a blessing, a beautiful gift from your hand. I pray for everybody that's here. I pray, Lord, that you would help us examine our hearts and repent of anything, Lord, that you want repented of. Just guide us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your eyes closed. And again, I just want to ask the question, is there anybody here that says, I need to get right with God, maybe on one of these issues, one of these eight things up here, and I need help in doing so. I need counsel. If that's you, raise your hand, put your hand up, and then back down. And we'll try to talk to you afterward. Is there anyone? Okay, thank you. Second question. We're going to pray here in just a minute. Is there anybody that says, I need prayer about something that I heard this morning? Put your hands up and then down. Thank you. And God sees those hands. Anyone else? Okay, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we once again humble our hearts before you. And Lord, you saw every hand that went up. People asking for prayer. We ask you, God, on their behalf, on behalf of your kingdom, that you would examine those hearts, especially those that raise their hands, asking for prayer. Lord, but everybody, Lord, if somebody thought they should have raised their hands and didn't for whatever reason, I pray you'd minister to them too. But especially those that raise their hands, Lord, lay your hand upon them and work in their lives today. Help them as they examine their hearts in these eight points, Lord. Is there anyone that has not been truly born again by the Spirit of God? Is there anyone that has any of these sins of witchcraft or bitterness or, or, or maybe there's, uh, Lord, blood on our hands for not being active and sharing the gospel 
Or, Lord, maybe we're being selfish with our resources when we could be feeding the hungry. And instead, we're, Lord, living selfishly in whatever that means. Keeping treasures together, disobeying, Lord, help us to know what it means to obey your commands about our money. Help us to know what a violation even looks like, Lord, and help us to stay far away from that, whatever it is. Lord, just help us to examine these things. Help, I just pray for your convicting power, your Holy Spirit, to move upon each one. And I pray that you'd send everyone home with a blessing now. Help, them, help, help each one to, Lord, take to heart what your word says. And, Lord, just protect us as well. I ask for your protection over me and over my family. And, Lord, we in no way want to play judge. I don't want to judge anyone, Lord. I simply want to share what you have already judged, God, about these things. And where the scripture is so serious, I pray that we would take it serious. And that you would make us strong. You would bring revival to our midst. You would... Guide and direct us in holiness and righteousness. That you would be with us this week as we meet, Lord, in the, at the purity meeting. And, Lord, that you would help us to stay away from the lusts of, that this world has to offer. Help us as we meet for the prayer meeting Saturday morning. And help us to do your work as we pray. And as we gather again next Sunday, Lord, help us just to be your people. And guide us and direct us. Show us what that means. But, Lord, I pray that if there are people right now across in this building especially but across the christian world the anabaptist world the lord whatever denominations are out there people who believe they're going to be on the right hand on judgment day but you know that currently they are still on the left their their names are not in the book of life i pray that lord you would shine a light into their lives you would call men from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they could receive that inheritance among them which are able, them which are sanctified, and those who are born again through faith in Jesus. Thank you, God, for gathering us here. We just pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Glenn, I'll give the time back to you. Thank you, Roger. Those are some very uh, thought-provoking thoughts. And uh, I appreciate the word this morning. And I thought it was interesting. Most of the verses that you read this morning, picked this morning, I had it underlined in my Bible. And uh, <clears throat> I added a few since then, this morning. But, you know, not being born again, the first one, if you would have read... read uh, he read down to about verse 4, but if you would have read three more verses, the Bible says ye must be born again. So there's really no option. You must be born again. If you're going to enter in, you must be born again. And uh, anyway, is there anyone here that has a testimony?
You know, it's easy to think, I've been thinking of something about that too. It's easy to think that, you know, time, we have time. So I didn't know this man was sick. And uh, this neighbor man, he was a good neighbor. You know, he's a friendly neighbor. You know, if we needed air for the bicycle tire, we could run up there and need this or need that. You know, you'd run up there. He's always helpful. And uh, so we were surrounded by some good neighbors. And uh, then when my wife called me and said, hey, do you know he's sick? I said, I didn't know that. And so I thought this Sunday, we'll go up as a family and visit him. Never made it that far. Tuesday he's dead. And I just could not believe it. They, his sister said he's he's uh, not doing very good. Most of the time, if they're not doing very good, we have some time, right? That's the way we think. By Tuesday, he was dead. The opportunity was over. And uh, I remember <clears throat> years ago, my wife's grandpa, Grandpa Eldon Berkey, I just felt one day, one Friday, I just felt like, um, you know, I need to go visit this man. He was going through some... In the sunset of years of life, he was going through some struggles. They were um, going through some church difficulties, and he was struggling. And I just felt impressed to go visit him. I didn't know what I was going to say. I just went and visited him. And just hear what he said. The old man, tears ran down his face, started sharing. I didn't say nothing. I just listened. And uh, a week later, he was dead. And I just like, oh, I'm so glad. I went visiting. And um, so, in saying all that, when the Holy Spirit prompts you and speaks to you, go visit. Just take the time to go visit. It may be your last opportunity. And I was just thinking, you know, he's sick. We got time, but he's dead. Now he's in the hands of God. Anyone else? How's that again? So why is that? Well, it's it's everything. There's things on that list I got to work on. I know it's it's not a casual thing that you need to work on it. It's eternal things that you need to work on. Mm -hmm. I was really ashamed. I was going to. You know, passing out tracks from time to time has been a real passion of mine.
Anyone else? What about you young people? Caleb. You have a thought? Appreciate what he said about appreciate that he had courage to, to speak and to share God's word. Those two kind of run together. Well, being the last one, kind of, they all kind of, the last one is an antidote to the whole problem, pretty much. For lukewarm, we're not going to really care about hidden sin. We're not going to care about bitterness. We're not going to care about the blood in the hands of witchcraft. I really appreciate the thought of not caring to at least go find out. You know, go find out. Feeding the hungry. HTT. Um, what do those abbreviations mean? Keeping treasures together. Okay. Okay. Maybe we could stand. Dennis, do you have a verse song for us? And Kayla, would you want to dismiss us with a word of prayer? Thank you. Number four hundred and ninety. Let's sing first and last. Am I a soldier of the cross? Shall I fear terror on his cause, or blush to 